0: Vasudeva Sutam Devam, Kamsachar Nuramadanam, Devaki Paramanandam, Krishnam Vande Jagad Guru. So in the Bhagavad Gita, we are on the tenth chapter and I've said this so many times but little context is always good. Uh, The big picture of the Bhagavad Gita, one way of looking at it is to divide the 18 chapters into three groups of six chapters each. Um, Madhusudan Saraswati, for example, does it in his um, um, masterly commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, the good heart the lamp illumining the hidden intent. There he says, Gita, 18 chapters, you can divide it into um, three groups of six chapters each corresponding to the great non-dual saying, teaching, Tat Tvamasi, you are that. So the first six chapters correspond to Tvam, you. So they are about self-knowledge. Who am I? That's the question there. The next six chapters, 7 to 12, are about that. God, the power behind this universe, religions consider it, theistic religions talk about an ultimate power which creates this universe, the creator God of religions and so on. So God, chapters 7 to 12, God. And then chapters um, 13 to 18, the identity, you are that. The true nature of the mystery of God explained and are shown what it, what that is, and that is your own nature. Again, of course, from an entirely advaitic perspective, non-dual perspective, um, and it's really painting with a bro- with broad strokes because there's so much covered in each of these groups of three, you know. Uh, but still, there's a lot of truth to it because um, if you need more chairs, there's one or two in the front also. in case you need more chairs because there's a lot of truth to it because in these chapters uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you find a lot of discussion of bhakti, of devotion. God is very present in these chapters and devotional practices, the love of God. That is discussed in detail in these chapters. So it is true that is sort of these six chapters are weighted towards God and heavily weighted towards God. Okay. Now, in the tenth chapter, what Krishna does is, um, is uh, that he gives Arjuna a new way of looking at God, a deeper understanding of God. So what's this deeper understanding of God? One understanding of God is, suppose I worship Shiva, for example. So for me Shiva is God. Who is God? Shiva. What about others? No, they are, they are not God. They, they can be lower deities. In Hinduism what they do is they, they don't say that they are false. They will say they are lower deities. So the, God is, for me God is Shiva. Or suppose I worship the Divine Mother. For me God is the Divine Mother. And that also very specifically as Kali or Durga or whatever Or it could be uh, one of the avatars I worship Krishna or Rama or Rama Krishna or Jesus as God They The son of God, incarnation of God For me that is God Nothing else So there are many devotees, Vaishnavas Very uh, intent devotees of Krishna For them, Krishna's to Bhagavan swayam Krishna is God what about the rest? In uh, you know, in Hinduism, outside Hinduism, in other religions, no, that's not God. Yeah. So, real God is Krishna. Uh, so, this is one way of looking at it. That's a preliminary approach. A deeper approach, which is there uh, in Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta also does that, is that all of these forms in which. Forms, concepts in which God is understood and worshipped in different traditions, different religions, they are all true. How can they all be true? Krishna is a male form and he is quite blue (laughs) and he plays the flute. How can that be the golden hued Durga with 10 arms, clearly a female form, has 10 arms here, 2 arms here and so on and so forth. So the idea is, God is existence, consciousness, bliss with the power of Maya, essentially without form, but with endless auspicious attributes, and can take any of one of the many forms. God can, that same God, who is um, um, all-powerful, Sarva-Shaktiman, uh, all-knowing, all present everywhere, Sarva-Vyapi, How is he present here? A formless God, you can't see. So invisibly present everywhere. But can also take the form of Krishna, can also take the form of Rama or Ramakrishna or uh, the same God who is worshipped in a particular way by the Shaktas, the worshippers of Shakti, Divine Mother. Same God who is worshipped as Shiva. So if I have that concept of God and then when I worship Shiva, I will know that you who worship Durga or Kali or the Christian God or the Islamic God, they are not wrong, they are not lower, they are the same God, I am worshipping that God as Shiva, you are worshipping that God as Allah or as Vishnu or Narayana in whichever form, so you can see it is a, a broader, more inclusive, a deeper understanding of God, first idea of God, this is the form, this is the name, this is the conception, this is the scripture that is it and everything else is either not true, false or lower that is one preliminary idea. A deeper idea is, no, they're all correct. Because Saguna Brahman, the ultimate you know, God with, with attributes, can be worshipped in multiple forms, in multiple ideas, and they're all true. Not that one is wrong at, And and um, one might say there an, a, a, an objection could be, possible objection could be, if I love my Krishna, and I consider Krishna to be God, and Krishna alone to be God. I have a very clear idea of the form of God, of the name of God, of um, you know the divine play, the leela of God. The moment you make God an abstract, formless, uh, you know, being, consciousness, bliss with the power of Maya, it sounds philosophical, but it's not something you can relate to. So haven't you lost the personal touch which was there when you had a very focused? So what Hinduism does, this is a peculiar genius of Hinduism. You can retain your Krishna, you can retain your Shiva, you can retain your Durga or Kali and have this higher or better idea of God also. How? This is the mechanism called Ishta Devata, the chosen ideal. This is pervasive throughout Hinduism. So your Ishta Devata is Krishna. Mirabai's Ishta Devata was Krishna. Sri Ramakrishna's Ishta Devata was Kali. But both Meera and Sri Ramakrishna knew that they were worshipping the same reality. But I still retain the love that I have for my Ishta Devata, chosen ideal. So Hanuman puts it best. He says that Shrinath he, Janaki nath he, Abheda Paramatmani, Tathapi Mama Sarvasva, Sri Rama Kamala Lochana. Shrinatha, Shri is Lakshmi. Srinatha is Vishnu, so God in the form of Vishnu, who is the, you know, the ruler of this entire universe, in his divine abode in Vaikuntha, in, in heaven, reclining on the cosmic serpent Adi Shesha, so that's Srinatha. And um, Janakinatha, the uh, husband of Sita, that is Rama, I know they are one and the same. Um Hanuman says. I know they are one and the same. Abheda Paramatmani. How are they one and the same? They are the same paramatma, the supreme self, the same existence, consciousness, place. Then, next, Hanuman says, Tathapi, even then, I have something to say. I have something to say. Mama Sarvaswa, for me, everything is the lotus-eyed Rama. So so he knows. If you worship Krishna, fine. If you worship Narayana, Devi, fine. And I know it's this way, exactly the same divinity I am worshipping. But for me, my loyalty, my love, my focus is my ishta Devata. So you retain both. You have the philosophical breadth and the, the devotional intensity also. Next, Krishna goes forward further in this tenth uh, chapter. And he introduces a new, even wider, even more profound, and more real concept of God. What do I mean, real? See, whether it's Krishna or Narayana or Vishnu or Rama, whatever it is, it's a matter of. Uh, you don't see it right now. And even if you do, keep it private. Otherwise, they're going to call 911, you know. <laughs> There's a saying that it's fine as long as you're talking to God. But if God starts talking back to you, then you have to go to the psychiatrist. (laughs) And Sri Ramakrishna is to talk to God all the time. Uh, So, uh, and even deeper, can we make it real? Um, What is real to us? God is a matter, matter of faith. A matter of faith. We believe in it. Because it's optional. You may not believe in it. Can we make it a little more real? Well, what's real is this world. For us, choicelessly, this world seems pretty real. Now what Krishna does is he brings the question of the world into into the question of God. And the reality of the world, he connects it to the reality of God in the 10th chapter. What is the world and what is God and what is the relationship? Everybody will say, oh, God created the world. But let's take it a little further. That um, if God created the world, with what material? Using what tools? And the idea in, uh, in Vedanta is something called Parinamavada. That idea of transformation. As the seed is transformed into the tree. Uh, you know, um, cause into effect. God is the first cause and the universe is the effect. God is the creator of the universe. But the cause continues in the effect. What do I mean by that? It's a simple idea. This is uh, an idea of a material cause. the cause out, The thing out of which something is made. So if you make something, if you make a table out of wood, wood is the material cause and the table is the effect. You make waves out of water. So waves are the effect and water is the material cause. Now notice something. If I say water is the material cause and the waves are the effect, where will, what will you find in the waves? You will find water. In fact, it is nothing but water. It is a new name you have given, a new form you have given, a new activity which has been given. Table, here and that's why when we touch the table we say touch wood, we don't say touch table touch wood, this table this altar, they are made of wood wood is the cause and the altar and the table are the effect, but you will find the wood in the altar, in the table even saying in in is a figure of speech, because it's all wood here what you are touching is the wood so, God continues in the universe this is a those who are philosophically trained, you will say, yeah, yes, only on this particular idea of causation. There are, different, there are different theories of causality. So one idea of causality is what is called uh, Parinamavada, the transformation theory. The material cause continues in the effect. In that case, the stunning conclusion will be, God is right here. If this universe, if you are a devotee, if you believe that God created the universe, in that case, where is God? Here. The creation is not different from the creator. Mundakopanishad. It says, As the spider spins a web and withdraws it into its own body. Where did the web come from? What is the material is the web made of? From the same material as the body of the spider. Similarly, from that imperishable rea- reality, this entire perishable world emerges. Upanishad says, from the akshara, from the imperishable reality, from God, let's, put, let's say God, and from that comes this universe. In that case, whatever we encounter in the universe, people, animals, plants, down to the most humble, humble, uh, particle of dust, is God. God is present there. It's made of God's stuff. Vivekananda used to say, never approach anything except as God. And he meant it. It was not being rhetorical. It's literally true. And even if we can't see it as being true in our unregenerate state, then we can at least believe it. Because we are right now in the in, mid, in the uh, chapters which are discussing faith on based on belief, faith. So Krishna is saying this. In that case, What is this world? These are all, Krishna calls them, Vibhuti, divine glories, the glories of God. I am God, Krishna says. These are my glories. So, everything in this material universe becomes a manifestation of God, becomes a manifestation of divinity. So, the material universe is the glory of God, Vibhuti or the glory of God. That's why this chapter is called Vibhuti Yoga. All that has been already explained to Arjuna. And Arjuna loves this idea. How does this make God more real to us? If we accept this move, in that case, God is visibly present to us. Whatever you are seeing is God. Just you don't know it. Whatever you hear is God. Whatever you taste is God. All the food that we eat, whatever you touch, whatever we encounter, no matter how good or how nasty, how pleasant or unpleasant, is God. If on this view, and Krishna will give you a list of these glories. But basically he means everything here is God. God has transformed himself, herself, itself into this universe. This is not the end of the story. There is one step further in Advaita Vedanta. God has not transformed himself, itself, itself into the universe. God alone exists. There's no, uh, universe, the universe does not have a separate existence. But anyway, that's later that's later right now is the universe is the glory of god that's why swami ashokananda ji i loved it you know when he he's somebody asked him uh, where shall i see god and his answer was foolish question where shall you not see god where can you not see god now arjuna is sold on this um, proposal and on this idea now he's going to ask a question he will say he's overcome with emotion he finds himself surrounded by by God. And God is real for him. He's overcome with emotion, he's inspired, uh, uplifted. So he's going to pray to Krishna and he says, this vibhuti, the universe is the glory, is your glory, the glory of God. Can you explain how I can use these for my meditation, for my spiritual practice? Point it out to me. Where am I to think of God? And Krishna will do that. Will give a, give him an, uh, a list the basic idea has been taught now. now we are going to get into a list of uh, or a series of descriptions of how to meditate on God using the universe. but first Arjuna's prayer in seven verses in tenth chapter, starting from the twelfth verse onwards, in seven verses, Arjuna overcome with emotion uh, inspired he prays to to Krishna and he says. You have told me this. I believe you. I believe you. Teach me how I am to see you in these glories and how I am to meditate upon you. You know, in the sun and the moon and the Ganges and so on and so forth. What will happen after this? See, there (laughs) there is a sure end to this. Inevitably. God as a matter of faith. All right. But God as as seen in the glories of this universe mm, more real but still you may tell me meditate on the sun as God meditate on the Ganges as God good but it's still the sun it's still a body of water you know? it's still a table, a chair It's maybe God, I'm sure from your perspective and I still, I can believe it I can meditate, I can feel great that God is everywhere but I still see chairs and tables and people so inevitably the next question will be, not just meditate, not just believe. Can I actually see God? And that will be the 11th chapter. That's one thing you should never ask for. Arjuna asks straight away. Why should you not? I, mean it's in, I want to see it. I want to actually experience it as an just as I am experiencing the universe. And now you are telling me, giving me some fancy philosophy and telling me this is actually God. Okay. I don't mind that. It's a nice idea. But little more. Can I directly see God everywhere or, or you know, directly experience God? Not tables as God and chairs as God. <laughs> and Krishna agrees. Is it all right? And he gives him the whole of the 11th chapter. Is what happens when Arjuna asks for that vision. Extraordinary. We'll come there. Extraordinary poetry. Not much philosophy is there. Just extraordinary poetry. Very uplifting, thrilling and scary. The result was Arjuna was terrified out of his wits. And this happens. Vivekananda goes around asking, have you seen God, sir? He asks all the great teachers in Calcutta in the late 19th century. Comes to Sri Ramakrishna. And this simple unlettered man whom um, he, the people said he had seen God. So Vivekananda, Narendranath Dutta goes and asks him, have you seen God? He says, yes, I have. And so can you. And in fact, next thing he did was, wait, I'll show him to you. <laughs> he touched, he took Narendranath aside and touched him. And the result was Narendranath, who had been this heroic young man in search for God. I want to see God. Not just believe in God. Not, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask, does God exist? Do you think God exists? No, no, no. Have you seen God? Actually, a very empirical question. And Sri Ramakrishna is the first one who said straight away, I have. And you can. Wait, I'll show him to you, wait. And he had a mystical experience, of the entire universe disappearing. And the result was the same. What happened to Arjuna thousands of years ago happened to Narendra Nath. He was terrified. He shouted, what are you doing? I have parents at home. And Sri Ramakrishna (laughs) chuckled and he said, oh well, let it be, it'll happen in its own time. And there are a number of other instances where people prayed to Sri Ramakrishna. You have all these ecstasies and visions can I have at least once, can I see it? You are seeing it, and I believe you. You are seeing it, <laughs> but I want to see it too. Swami Brahmananda, whom Sri Ramakrishna considered his spiritual son, Rakhal, said, could you give me uh, the, the God experience, the actual experience of, of God? Um, then... Not, uh, not, See, Vedanta, when you hear Advaita Vedanta, which is something different from this, uh, it sounds very intellectual, and very. but no, a mystical experience, of a vivid experience of God. And Sri Ramakrishna said, it is the mother's will, when the mother wants, it will happen. And Rakhal won't let go, he said, you tell the mother. So n- the next day when Rakhal, Brahmananda, was a young man at that time. He went to the Kali temple, sat for meditating. Suddenly, a blaze of light—light, light, literally like light—he was seeing it, not the light metaphor in Advaita Vedanta, pure consciousness as light, which the way I speak, not in that way. Actually, experiencing a blaze of light coming out from the uh, the sanctum sanctorum of the Kali temple and rushing towards him—a mystical experience. Many mystics have reported this. But Rakhal's reaction was exactly the same as Narendranath and Arjuna thousands of years before. He ran for his life. He got up from his meditation and then ran. And a little later, when he went to Sri Ramakrishna, before he could say anything, Sri Ramakrishna says, What, what, well, 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 what is this? You pester me for it, and when you get it, you run away. <laughs> I remember. Uh, Funny story. <laughs> Swami Bhutesh Anandaji, who was uh, the president of our order, uh, a w- extraordinary monk, uh, very learned, very loving. I've seen uh, men, women, calling this 97, 98-year-old man mother. So loving he was. So... Uh, one day, we monks, um, we used to go and ask questions. Not me, I was a novice, just a newcomer. I could just barely see him. I was uh, being junior in the pecking order. I was at the back of the crowd. And when the crowd of monks was too much, I was outside the room. So I would just peek in through the window. But I could hear what was going on. So that day the question was, why were they scared? Vivekananda, and Arjuna, and the uh, Rakal and every, almost anybody who actually got that vision directly, uh, why were they terrified? So his answer was, he said, he would speak in a slow drawl. He said, oh well, you know, when your individuality, your personality is disappearing into a great void. That's what Vivekananda experienced actually. That can be terrifying. Because you are not enlightened. You don't know that you are not the body-mind. You have read about it. And then this little body-mind individuality is disappearing. What, what does the mind feel like? The mind will feel like I am being annihilated. You are not the mind. the mind is being annihilated, but you are not being annihilated with the mind. But since you are identified with the mind, that clarity is not there, you will feel you are annihilated. Anyway, so he said, so you feel scared and so on. He was telling this. And then he he always had this little quip. He said, but you lot need not be afraid. The monks gathered there. At first we didn't get what he was saying. Then we rose in a howl of protest. What he meant was we are not going to get those experiences. (laughs) You lot need not be afraid. (laughs) Mm. I uh, generally do not speak about these mystical experiences because it becomes a habit of people then will keep on saying, I had this experience, that experience. My experience is more than yours or better than yours. (laughs) No use, no use. But, but, these are true. These are the most powerful experiences human beings can have in their life. Even if you get such an experience in a dream, you'll never, one mark is you'll never forget it. Second, it's always uplifting, even if you remember it years later. It's almost always central. These often mark a turning point in life. And these are real, these are not ideas. There was one, I think it was American or British, a white person. She became Yogi Krishna Prem in India. Uh, So he was a devotee of Krishna. And he writes. He got a vision. Um, I I remember this professor, he was uh, telling us about this vision. And then he scolded us. I I was there and a group of other professors and monks. And we were discussing at a very philosophical level. And he says, I'm reading out the mystical experiences of Yogi Krishna Prem. And he says, there he was. That blue-hued, Beautiful child with the peacock feather and the and the flute, not an idea, not your philosophical abstraction. I beheld him. So this is a mystical experience. So uh, that is going to happen in the eleventh chapter. Why is it so scary, or why doesn't it work? Because without preparation. see Sri Ramakrishna has those experiences every day. It's fine with him. Nath tries to give him one taste of it and he's terrified because of lack of preparation, lack of preparation, that's all. Over time as we cultivate it, we spiritually we advance, uh, the mind is purified, focused, we are able to hold on to those experiences more and more and then then it's all right. but initially it can be mind-blowing. Now let us go into the prayer of Arjuna, twelfth verse. Twelfth verse is very sublime. Adyunojcha, Adyunojcha. I feel like you can repeat after me. Param Brahma, Param Dharma. Param Brahma, Param Dharma. Pavitram Paramam Bhavan. Pavitram Paramam Bhavan. Purusham Shashvatam divyam. Purusham shashvatam divyam devam ajam vibhum devam ajam vibhum So he says, O oh Lord, You are the Supreme Brahman, Param Brahma, the Supreme Abode, Param Dhama, and and supremely holy, paramam Pavitram. And then he says that You are the eternal being resplendent being, um, the the primeval deity, birthless and omnipresent. So Purusham, Shashvatam, Divyam, Adidevam, Ajam, Vibhum. So each of these adjectives, there's a lot of philosophy in it. It's the 12th verse. Have you got it? Chapter 10, 12th verse. Each of these terms is, is, has profound philosophy behind. The first term itself, Param Brahma, the transcendental Brahman. So param Brahma means existence, consciousness, bliss. Satchidananda. Or as it is, has been uh, defined in the Taittiriya Upanishad, Satyam jnanam Anantam Brahma. Brahman is limitless or infinite existence, consciousness. Satyam jnanam Anantam Brahma. Or Satchidananda, limitless being, limitless uh, consciousness, limitless bliss. Or as Vivekananda put it, um, existence itself, knowledge itself, um, bliss itself. Satchidananda, this is Param the absolute reality. And that also some would say that is actually meant to be a negative definition. Existence itself means that it, it's not that it does not exist. Consciousness itself means that it is not that it is an inert, non-conscious, insentient being. Ananda means not that it is um, bereft of bliss, instead of making a positive statement. Anyhow, that is Param Brahma. The word Brahma, etymologically, grammatically, it just means the vast, that which is without any limit. Brahma, Vajraspati Mishra defines it. Bringhanatva, brihatwa, ātmā, Brahmā iti the self, Brahman, is that which expands without limit, or oh, that is basically without limit, limitation, infinite. So he says, Param Brahma, Arjuna says, Param Brahma, Param Dhamma, the ultimate abode. Abode is where someone stays. So in, uh, in Hinduism, God has an abode, uh, basically in all theistic religions. So God is in heaven. God's in heaven and all's right with the world, I think Robert, Bra- um, Robert Browning. So God is in heaven. Heaven is dharma the, the uh, holy abode, abode of God. But here in a philosophical sense, the entire universe, where does it stay? God stays in heaven. But God is appearing as this universe. Where does it stay? Where does this universe stay? What is the abode? God is the abode. In what sense? In the sense that wood is the abode of this table and the altar. In the sense that water is the abode of uh, the waves, of all the waves in the ocean. Where is the wave? You can say it's in the ocean. Where is the ocean? It's in water. It's in water is another way of saying, um, more clearly if you say it, it is water. So when you say divinity is the very substance of this universe, that's a poetic way of saying it would be Paramdhama, the abode, the ultimate abode of all beings and everything is this divinity. And Vedanta has a ra- the radical statement of it's not somewhere there, some other abode where you have to go to. You are in that ultimate abode right now, but you don't see it as that. And you say, What, Manhattan? Manhattan is not bad, but is it the ultimate abode? <laughs> <coughs> yes, it is. And exactly so is every other place, time in this uh, universe. But, but you have to see it as God in that case. Paramdhama. Pavitram param paramam, the holiest of all. Just the contact, even the thought. In Bhishma, he praises Narayana, Vishnu. Yes marana matrena, Mutyate jantu janma samsara Just by remembering Vishnu, just by remembering the Lord, the sentient being who is caught, the Jiva, who is caught in samsara, is liberated from... The um, the cycle of birth and death. So, all right, I am remembering God now, but why am I not liberated? Remembering God means you are just remembering a concept or something that you have heard or believed or something. Remembering it means, suppose you know someone very well, and you try to remember now, so you have a very vivid memory of that person. Can you do that with God? If you did that, you are liberated. So, pavitram paramam, the holiest of all. The most purifying of all. Purusham. Purish, purishayanaditi Purusha. So is a very ancient word, Purusha. In Indian languages, it means man or male. And Prakriti means female. or Purusha and Shakti, male and female. But if you go back to the philosophical roots, and the roots back in the Vedas is a Purusha Suptam. It means the ultimate reality. Another meaning of that Purusha is, uh, so for example, one of the Vedic hymns which Swami Vivekananda loved very much, Vedāham Purusham Mahāntam, I have realized that limitless Purusha. What's it like? Aditya Varnam, blazing forth like the sun. Tamasaf parastad, forever beyond darkness, beyond the darkness of uh, ignorance and misery and limitation and evil resplendent like the sun. Tameva viditvati Knowing that, if you realize that, Purusha, one goes beyond death. One goes beyond limitation, sorrow. Any other way? pantha There is no other path. You have to realize God. God-realization, self-realization, whatever you call it. That is the path, that is the goal. Purusham. Another meaning of Purusha is Purishayanath. The one who dwells in this body. This body is called the city with nine gates. You know, the nine organs or orifices of the body. In that dwells. Who dwells there? Consciousness dwells there. That that ultimate reality dwells as awareness consciousness right here. That's called Purusha. Shashwatam. Eternal ever, um, the most ancient one, Shashwatam. Divyam. Divyam literally means divine. More specifically, it means bright, shining. Div, is means the Sanskrit root means to shine. And the philosophical meaning, here the commentator, I'm quoting from Sridhar Swami, Divyam, Dhyotanatmakam, Swaprakasham, Shining. What do you mean shining? Is it radioactive or what? Why is he shining? Shining means, Self-luminous. That still doesn't make uh, things clear. Consciousness is self-luminous. What do you mean self-luminous? See, it's like example would be this light. So there are lots of, we are all here, chairs and tables and the altar, everything is here. But until the light is switched on, it's all in darkness. When the light is switched on, what does it do? It reveals everything and everybody in this room. And not only that, interesting, it reveals itself. But the things in this room, the chairs and tables and uh, people, they neither uh, reveal themselves nor do they reveal anything else. But the light is something unique which reveals everything else wherever it falls on and it reveals, you don't need, another, you don't need to switch on another light to see this light. So this is called Swap Self-Luminous, which illumines the other and itself also. It reveals itself and illumines the other. You, won't imagine, you, you can't imagine the amount of philosophical uh, heavy lifting that has to be done for this one little term, swaprakash <laughs> yeah. Why? What would be the immediate objection? A thing cannot act on itself. Yeah. This is basic philosophy, and logic. A knife cannot cut itself. Yeah. Wood can't burn itself. Food can't feed itself, <laughs> and so on. So, the thing cannot act on itself. So, how can light illumine itself? You might think, what a stupid query! Is this what philosophers do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, very, very interesting. So, you can't say the light illumines itself, and there is a work around that. We don't say the light illumines itself, and any philosopher can tell you that. What is illumination? Something was in darkness. And it is revealed by light. So the room was in darkness. The light is switched on. The light reveals the room which was already, which was existing, but in darkness. So it removes darkness. So it illumines the room. But itself, was the light ever in darkness? So if you define illumination as removal of darkness, in that case the light is not illumining itself. Do you see the move? You will not allow a thing to act on itself. The light can act on all other things and illumine them. But it cannot illumine itself because that would be acting on itself. Then the answer for that would be, you know, don't get upset. I can put it in another way. The light is not illumining itself. Because illumination, how do you define illumination? Illumination is removal of darkness. The light was never in darkness. It was switched on. The moment it's switched on, the moment it's there, it's not in darkness at all. So when the light is self-revealing, self-luminous, it's not... It's not illumining itself. You might think that what quibbles, (laughs) unnecessary quibbles. But no, it's not uh, just light shining upon things in darkness is just the beginning. So is the light self-luminous? Then light will be God, Brahman, this light? No, because this light depends upon your having eyes. The light cannot illumine anything nor itself. Unless you have eyes. If you have eyes to see, then you can see what is being illumined by the light. And you can see the light itself. So the eyes illumine the light. But then eyes themselves are illumined by mind. Unless you are paying attention. You can't see. Light may be on. Everything is there. Eyes are open. But you are not seeing. Because your mind is elsewhere. It can happen. Distracted. It often happens in Vedanta class. So, eyes are open, but you are not seeing. So, mind illumines the eyes. The light illumines the dark room and then makes it visible. The light itself is illumined by the uh, eyes and the eyes are illumined by the mind. Now, illumination is not in the sense of light. It is in the sense of knowing. And mind itself is illumined by consciousness. And consciousness, consciousness is illumined by? Not itself. You can't say itself because it thing cannot act on itself. It is self-luminous. Svaprakash, all of that has been packed into this one word, Svaprakash, Mm self-luminous. There was a great master, Chitsukhacharya, who lived about 700, 800 years ago. He wrote a book called Tattva Pradipika, The Lamp Illumining Reality. And uh, it's on Advaita Vedanta. It's a very difficult book. I've studied just one page of it. And that page is the definition. He has a definition of uh, he has a definition of Swaprakasha, self-luminosity. That's the topic, self-luminosity. You wouldn't believe it. He he gives 11 definitions. He takes up 10 definitions, rejects each one, then comes to the 11th definition and which he accepts. What is self-luminosity? Please define. Um, The opponent asks. And then one by one, they're taken up. This is called Chitsukhi. His bo- name of the book is Tattva Pradipika, but because the master's name was Chitsukhacharya, um, so the book is also called Chitsukhi, the book written by Chitsukha uh, I I had a teacher uh, who used to study this book. He used to go to a pundit in Calcutta from our monastery. He would travel to the Institute of Culture um, where the pundit would come and teach this book, Chitsukhi. And my teacher... Uh, For the time I knew him from the, I mean, about nearly, um, how long? Nearly 30 years, until the pundit died. They were studying that text. They didn't complete it once. (laughs) All right, one more funny story. I'll go ahead. I'll I'll come to you, yes. The the funny story I can't resist, but it's incomprehensible to non-Bengalis. So it's a play on the word, chitsuki. Um, This monk came to our, uh, when we were novices being trained in the main monastery, a visiting monk asked, so what are you studying? And we said, these are the books we are studying. And he said, oh, that's nothing. Uh, We all studied chitsuki and we were impressed. That's the book you would name drop in in uh, (laughs) non-dualistic, Circles to impress others. We are like, "Oh, you actually studied suki. said yes." And then ne- the next part of it is, is, a play on words in Bengali. "Oh <laughs> Now in Bengali, chit, chit actually means consciousness, but in Bengali, chit means "flat. If you lie on your back, you're chit. And sukha means bliss. So the bliss of lying flat on your back, that is chitsuki. That's the Bengali <laughs> derivation of Chitsuki. Yeah. All of that goes into this one word, Suprakasha. Then he says, Adi the first among the gods. We're studying Mundaka Upanishad. How does that Upanishad begin? Brahma Devanam Sambabhuva Vishwasya karta, bhuvanasya gopta, of all the gods, the first to be manifested was Brahma, who created this universe, and who protects this universe, but manifested from where? From Vishnu, we all know the um, iconography, we have seen it in little comic books in India, Vishnu lying on uh, the cosmic serpent, which is floating in the uh, the uh, eternal seas, the Kshira Sagara, the luminous seas, and from Vishnu's na- navel comes a lotus, and on the lotus opens, and Brahma is sitting there. So, of all the gods, the first to appear was Brahma. But before the gods appeared, who was there? Who was before everything? Vishnu. He there was no. That's that's why Vishnu is God. Brahma is the first created, the first born, but Vishnu is God who is who uh, is before all the gods. There is a very profound hymn. Nasadya Suktam in the Vedas in the Rig Veda it's there before the creation of the universe what was there Kimasit Gahanam Gabhiram even the words are stirring in that absolute deep what moved what vibrated without movement and it goes on to say that who knows? Nobody knows. Because all this was what we are speaking of was before the, before the universe, before the creation of the gods. And that ancient one, birthless one, perhaps he knows, perhaps even he does not know. And it ends there. The hymn ends there. In the beginning of the universe, before anything was created, in the deep darkness, he uses the waters, the deep darkness of the waters, what moved? What vibrated without motion? Where darkness was enveloped in darkness. Look at the poetry of it. Darkness enveloped in darkness. By the way, anybody who has read the Old Testament, Genesis, this is the first line of the Genesis also. Before the creation of, literally, creation of the universe in the dark waters, what moved? How Where the Middle East, Old Testament, the Rigveda, thousands of years before, exact same line. It starts with that. So Adi Deva, the first of the gods, uh, Ajam. So how was God created? Unborn. You cannot ask that question. How was this God created? Ajam means birthless. That means God has no cause. Cause leads to effect. So what became God? What produced God? No answer. And then, Vibhum. What is his connection to this universe? All him. That God, that eternal God before the universe is right here, right now, pervading this entire universe. As as all this, as all the glories which we are going to speak about. And then, um, Arjuna says, I don't know this. He's very honest. I've just heard it. I've read about it and you're, you're, te- you're telling me about it right now. So the 13th verse, we'll read that and you had a question. Anybody else had a question, we'll come to that. 13th verse, let's read that. Ahus <laughs> rishaya sarve Ahus rishaya sarve Devarshi naradas Devar Shi Naradas tatha, Asito Devalo Vyasa Asito Devalo Vyasa Swayam Chaiva Bravi Shime Swayam Chaiva Bravi Shime So I have heard that all sages, the divine sage Narada, Asita Devala Vyasa and they have all said this and you too are telling me this too you are telling me this i'm hearing from you and this is so evocative when we talk about sri ramakrishna as an avatar how do we know because vivekananda called him an avatar and um, brahmananda and all these direct all the sages the direct disciples but sri ramakrishna himself said many times you too have, have told us and now somebody whom you would trust immensely you know this person cannot lie and you know this person is not crazy is competent is extraordinary probably superior to all of us this is extraordinary competence and power and absolute honesty and this person says god exists god can be seen the goal of life is god realization if he says i am the incarnation of god so sri ramakrishna when he says uh, he says that uh, he who was rama he who was krishna is in this body ramakrishna and there's a recording of Swami Abhedananda who was here. It's available on YouTube. The speech he gave in 1936 on the birth centenary of Sri Ramakrishna. He says, how many times, uh, I'm imitating him. <laughs> his, his He's saying it in Bengali, but it's very resounding. I guess people in those days spoke like that. <laughs> how many times we have heard it from his own lips. He who was Rama, he who was Krishna is in this body, Ramakrishna. He didn't say it just once. He said it many times Like that Arjuna is saying to Krishna You too I have read all this I have heard all this But you are telling me You too my lord are telling me this That all of this universe Is the glories of God You are the avatar of, of God And all of this I believe you uh, You had a question before we go on You you need the microphone Yes so We have a new system no, you were talking about. Uh, is it on? Yeah. Is this just, just check? No, it's on. It's on. You don't have to, Hello. Say, yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Can everybody hear you? Yes. yes. yeah. No. So you were talking about sadh prakasha. Swap prakasha. which prakasha. Self luminous. Self revealing. Self luminous. Huh? Self revealing. Also. So when you, you know, remember in the past you talked about reflected consciousness and how you turn in, and that then you experience real, true consciousness. Is that a process of consciousness, self-revealing to the person who is... Yes, but what you're asking is in the Drigdrishya Viveka, it's a what is called a prakriya, a methodology in Advaita Vedanta. That is a method for removing ignorance about our real nature. What you will find there is something that it, you will not get a new experience. You will see it's always been there. That's what enables us to have all these experiences. So that's what you'll realize in the Drigdrisha Viveka. It it removes ignorance, that, that procedure. Is ignorance about something that already exists. Uh, whereas here, when we talked, yeah, so that's what it is, Svaprakasha. That's different from the mystical experiences which we are talking about, which are extraordinary experiences which we never had earlier, and we will we're fortunate enough to have it. And then again, it goes away also. It rem- leaves a trace behind. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Then the prayer continues. Arjuna asks this question. He is building up to a question. 14th verse yeah. Sarvame tadritam manye. Sarvame tadritam manye. Yan maam Keshava. Yan maam Keshava. Nahite bhagavan vyaktim, Nahite bhagavan vyaktim, Vidur deva nadanava, Vidur deva All this and what else you say unto me, O Keshava, I regard as true. O Lord, verily neither the gods nor the demons know your manifestations. Sarvameta dritam manye vadasi Oh my Lord, whatever you are saying to me, I regard as true. Not that I know it. I believe you. This is very important. This is called Shraddha. It's a great power. The problem is in our modern age, we live in an age of suspicion. Not an age of faith. Faith is for dumb people. I am clever. There is such clever, cleverness it is the worst kind of stupidity. It, dep- it deprives us uh, of the greatest prize. Um, so we live in, thanks to Nietzsche, he talked about the hermeneutics of suspicion. Wherever anything looks good, nice, high, holy, grand, treat it with suspicion. Analyze it, uh, do an, uh, expo- what is it? Sting operation. <laughs> and uh, expose it and you will find something rotten underneath. My answer to that is, bravo, well done. (laughs) What's the point of it? So you have deprived yourself of, of, um, there are things which are actually true, holy, grand and great and beautiful. And until we know them, our only, only access to it is through faith. You must at some point believe somebody, something, somewhere how poverty-stricken we are if you are eternally suspicious of everything. And thing is, we if you were skeptical and suspicious, truly in a philosophical sense, that would be great, but that's so hard. That's so hard. What happens to all of these very clever people is, they're suspicious of anything you tell them, and then they end up be- believing the silliest of things. Let <laughs> me see. Often people, great intellects, men of the world, very competent in the world of religion, turn out to be babies falling for this um, sometimes this silliest, um, the silliest showmanship, some worst kind of cults, believing anything and everything. Uh, somebody put it very beautifully, he said there is a disorder called Pika, where there's a, um, some kind of nutritional imbalance, uh, some kind of what do you call? Uh, iron, deficiency. iron deficiency and all. So there is, they eat uh, d- like dust or ice or things like that which is not nutritional at all. But it struck me that this is exactly what happens to people who are deficient in faith, then they end up with a kind of religious pika. Mm -hmm. Eating something which is not useful or even often harmful, silly, stupid. All right. So I love this when Arjuna says, I don't know this, I don't get it yet, but i say what you are saying is true i i believe it sadam so manye I, I believe it and he is very honest it's a belief but i do believe it because you are saying it one of the great swamis of our order long before my time swami bhaskareshwarananda who was a great teacher of um, advaita of vedanta great teacher of our ramakrishna vivekananda tradition enlightened person um, he established our ashram in nagpur so I met Swami's who were His students, how He would be- begin a class on the Gita When He starts first class on the Gita, how he, that we are going to study the Bhagavad Gita So I had those notes, only of the, unfortunately of the first class How He begins, He says, keep this in mind when you study the Gita, who is speaking? It is Krishna who is speaking, God, an incarnation of God who is speaking not your professor not your uh, uh, the sunday column writer in the newspaper uh-huh. not your know it all neighbor no it's god who's speaking keep this in mind so your whole attitude to these words changes another thing i remember from those notes when you study texts like this he uses the word prayojana i mean vedanta this term called prayojana prayojana means what do i get out of it he says Keep this praeojanam vibrating within you, that means alive within your mind when you approach these texts. Why am I here? Because here I am sure lies the solution to all the quest of my life. I am seeking fulfillment. I am seeking security in this world of insecurity. I am seeking safety. I am seeking fulfillment, joy, bliss. I am seeking for strength to face the ups and downs of life. All of this, I will get here. This is the need. This is why I am here. So he says, how beautiful. He says, keep this vibrating. How receptive you will be when we we keep these things in our mind. And these are just two sentences from his notes. I have never attended those classes. Um, I think it was Swami Shankarananda who said, I remember... Somebody I heard this from a long time ago. This was when Swami Bhaskarishwaranji was teaching in Nagpur, and um, in our main monastery in Belur. Sometimes in some conversations, when the Swamis were complaining, you know, well, at the time of the direct disciples, the founders Vivekananda and others, what vibrating spirituality we had! But that's sort of gone down so much now. And then the president of the order Shankaranji, I think, he said, "Why do you say so?" Go to Nagpur, there he he gives two classes a day, and the whole ashram vibrates with the divine presence all day long. So it's literally transmitting spirituality there. And we get an idea. If this is what he's this is the quality of the classes, you know. Who is the speaker? Why are you here? Keep these vibrating. I do not know it. Even the gods don't know it. Even the demons don't know it. What to speak of human beings? Then, the 15th. We'll do that and stop. And if there's any question or reaction. Swayam evatmanatmanam Swayam manam, Vethatvampurushottama purushottama, Swayam purushottama. Bhuta bhutesha, bhuta bhutesha, deva deva jagatpati, deva deva jagatpati. You alone know yourself by yourself. What a beautiful, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, uh, you alone know yourself by yourself. O best of all beings, O creator of beings, O Lord of beings, O Lord, O God of the gods, a lot of the universe is uh, overwhelmed with emotion and devotion. Anybody has a question? All right, one question we'll take today because we are out of time. Yes. Om Swami. So, uh, the table is wood. Yeah. I understand. What if the wood is rotting with cruelty, with abuse, with um, uh, deep disturbances. Yes. Yes. So, is the deep disturbances the rotting also the wood? And how can I see this more clearly? Right. So, the straight answer to it is evil in the world. Is it there or not? Yes. Is there good? Yes. Is there evil? Yes. Are there awful things in this world? Yes. Disturbing, painful things? Yes. Is all of it God's stuff, made of God? Yes. The evil is not less God than the good. However, there's something to be understood here. You don't end up, oh, um, I learned that God is present in everybody, so uh, the crook and the embezzler, now let me do a little worship to him and bow down to the person. <laughs> Sri Ramakrishna was very clear here. He said, all are Narayana. Narayana is God all are Narayana, but one does not embrace the tiger Narayana. (laughs) If you embrace the tiger Narayana, that's the way in which God is manifesting himself, that tiger is going to embrace you. (laughs) Now, if you are an enlightened being, you are free of samsara, what will happen is the tiger will embrace you and then that will be the end of that particular body you are manifesting, he'll eat you up. But if you are so advanced that you, you you see it's nothing to you you are not even that body let the body feed the tiger yeah. mm-hmm. then there's some sense because at no point one should leave common sense behind otherwise for the rest of us i am a spiritual seeker i need this body yeah. i must protect i must feed this body clothe this body take medicines when it's sick um protect it from the tiger god yeah. in order to attain god yes mm-hmm. so i common sense never leave it behind Especially when it comes to stuff like religion, <laughs> spirituality, you know. You leave common sense behind, you are in the realm of nonsense. And <laughs> dangerous nonsense sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, definitely use common sense. But in, inside you know that the same divinity, it has to be. This entire universe, it has to be. Evil is not fundamental. It is on the surface of things. And you have to deal with it when you are in face-to-face with it. And be careful. Deal with it with all care and um, with strength. And um, protect yourself from it. Why protect yourself? So that you may be liberated. Does a time come when you don't have to do that? Yes, a time comes. But then you have to be at that level. Vivekananda would tell the story of a monk uh, in the Himalayas. The forests where uh, a tiger caught this monk. He, all his life he had repeated, Soham, I am he or I am that. That I am the absolute. The tiger caught him and was dragging him off. A true story, dragging him off to the forests to eat him. Until the very end, what people could hear from the distance was, Soham, Soham, Soham. Did he die? Did it save him? Did his philosophy and spirituality save him? No, the tiger ate him up. But he is somebody who's fine with it. He sees clearly that I'm not dead with the death of the body. A much simpler example. Once, um, Swami Atulananda, who was an uh, American, uh, he was Dutch actually, uh, from New York, and he became a monk, he went to India. Um, Swami Turiananda, great non-dualist, Vedantin, they were traveling together uh, in North India, in a pilgrimage. and They took refuge at night in a big hut. There were many other pilgrims, and a hot discussion started on Vedanta. The world is false, Brahman alone is real and the, Duryanji was an uncompromising non-dualist. Mm-hmm. Then one of the gentlemen sitting there, they were all sitting around a fire. gentleman said, if the world is false, um, you know, can you trust your hand into the fire? Mm-hmm. And Duryanji with all excitement, he got up and he said, yes, of course, and the hand will get burnt. The hand will get burnt, but it's nothing to me because I am Brahman. And he was about to thrust the, his hand into the fire and the people jumped on him and pulled him back. So that's it. I mean, it's not escapism, it's not uh, fantasy. The world and th- at the level of the world, laws of physics will have their, um, uh, you know, and the laws of nature will all will play out. But there's something which these people realize, which makes, which f- for them, it makes them safe, or it, safe not in the physical sense. See, what I'll tell you, I'll end with this. We think if I'm spiritual, if I'm godly, prayerful, God will protect me in all sorts of ways. God does, but not in this way, way we think. So there's this person who went to the Lama and asked, um, so if I pray to the Buddha with all my heart, I'll be okay? And he was going to go through a medical procedure. So I'll be okay? I won't die? And then I'll be okay. And the Lama said, yeah, be, you'll be okay. So I won't die. The Lama said, even if you die, you'll be okay. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> and one must be completely comfortable with that. Spirituality is that which makes you completely comfortable with that. No problem at all. Om um, Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat. Shri Rama Krishna